0: My my goal is really simple. Make a difference in the world. That's it. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds.
1: Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast. All about productivity, organization, well-being, energy, and resilience. my name is ellie dodds and i'm a co-presenter and today joe is interviewing jonathan aslay jonathan was referred to us by cindy bidar our guest on show number 125. known as america's leading midlife dating and relationship coach jonathan is a defender and protector of women's hearts around the world he helps women transform from attracting mr wrong into finding their mr right jonathan a successful entrepreneur coach speaker and author of amazon number one new release what the heck is self-love anyway? Jonathan is like a guy spy to the male mind who truly understands the way a single or divorced man thinks and acts. He's a master at helping women recognize and distinguish the difference between men who are emotionally unavailable from those who are truly ready for love. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Jonathan Hathaway. Welcome,
2: Jonathan,
0: to join me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be sharing with you today.
2: Lovely. So start by telling us who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it.
0: Okay. Well, who I am, I'm, I'm a dating and relationship coach. And, and if, I, if I really kind of look at how I am operating, I'm a dating relationship coach for women that specializes in midlife. And the only reason why I pause there for a moment is that I'm shifting more to being like a life coach. So, to incorporate more than just the dating and relationship aspect. So, um, but that's what I do professionally, and where I do it, I'm I have a home-based business, or I mean, I mean, really, it's more of a la- laptop-based business because you can. I don't have to do it from <laughs> home. I can do it from anywhere <laughs> for the most part. Exactly.
2: Yeah. agreed Person still sitting in our caravan, as listeners will know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you doing what you do? So, you're seeing uh, this, but uh, presumably didn't go up saying that you wanted to be a relationship
0: coach. <laughs> so, why I do what I do? Well, after turning 40 and going through a divorce a little over a couple, it feels like decades ago, but I mean, about a decade and a half ago. Um. I found myself out in the single world and I was doing online dating. And to be candid, I got addicted to online dating. I got addicted to the high of connecting with people. And what interestingly happened was I was so addicted, I was just talking to people, to women, I should say, uh, consistently (laughs) every day, I mean, through instant message and telephone calls and texting and everything and i was actually developing friendships with a lot of women online that i would probably never meet cuz i was talking to them all over the country and after a while some women just asked me for advice on how to improve their dating profile so i just started to give my you know the male perspective on helping a woman you know change her you know up improve her dating profile and then after they did it, I'd get phone calls like weeks later going, oh my God, I met a great guy. Can you read his profile and tell me what you think? And, um, <laughs> and so then I started to give perspective on what I was looking into in the males, you know, the men's profiles. And I was like, and I, at the time I was date or prior to that, I, I or one point in my life, I dated an internet marketer or, you know, I mean, she's a transformational coach and actually a very famous one, and I'm not gonna share her name publicly. But I got to see her world, and I'm like, God, I'm a- being asked to help improve online dating profiles, and I was coaching women for free. Like, why not start a business? And I put up a website. Well, first I wrote, a, a, I'll be candid, I wrote a cheesy ebook called Online Dating Secrets Revealed. And I only say it's cheesy, because it was like 30, 40 pages of an ebook. I put it on a website, and then I started to sell some of it, and then I started to get calls to do radio shows and got called to do an interview for a for a pilot. And I'm like, oh, shoot, this was a hobby. Now it's turning into a business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, it's, and it's moved from being purely relationship coaching into life coaching, you, you said at the beginning. And how's that transition happen?
0: Well... The transitions happen for a couple reasons because um, I the the dating conversation to me is getting to be so noisy and a lot of people are out there are are teaching dating techniques, you know how to do this to get the guy or how to text a guy back or what to do when a breakup happens or what to do when he disappears. And here's the thing. A lot of this advice out there is generalized and, and one size doesn't fit all. And so there's a lot of confusion out there. And I I was, and what I've come to realize is that dating and or being in a relationship can trigger the number one emotional health issue facing, well, I'm here in the United States, but I mean, it could be all over the world. And that is a lack of inner self-worth, a lack of of self-confidence, a lack of self-reliance, a lack of self-discipline, a lack of self-esteem. And dating can trigger that. So what my conversation lately has been more about building from the inside out, because whether you are in a relationship or not, what's most important is having a happy you. And I say that capitalize with an exclamation point, Y-O-U. And that's the conversation I'm leaning more into these days from a professional standpoint.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can I can see that. It's interesting thing about the whole concept of relationship coaching. It must be quite a a new thing, as in I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty years ago. I can't imagine people would have said that. But they must have people must have been helping people all along. We just didn't have names for it or uh, you know we didn't sort of position ourselves in that sort of way but when you start to move into as you say helping people individually with their self-esteem and all that sort of thing again we wouldn't have called it that 40 years ago but that people must have been you know talking to people and helping people forever Is well I think so, t- I,
0: well I'd like to talk into that for a couple of reasons a You know, 30, 40 years ago, dating is actually a relatively new phenomenon. It used to be, you know, for thousands of years, you mated with someone just to have sex, oftentimes, and then you became in a committed relationship, or there were arranged marriages. And dating has only really been around for the last 40 or 50 years. Um, And what's uniquely different now because of the internet, it's changed everything because it used to be you would meet your partner based on proximity. In other words, if they lived in the same town or you went to the same school or you worked at the same place, that's where you met your mate. And now, because of the internet, you have access to all these places to meet people. Um, And I think the other thing that changed, you know, Tony Robbins back in the 80s and, and late 80s and early 90s really was the first one to, begin the push of coaching not dating coaching but coaching right and so in the last two decades the whole coaching industry in general the whole home-based business in general has blossomed because of you know i think tony robbins has been one of the on the forefront of that and
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and because of the internet and because of la- you know laptop-based businesses
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think back. When I, I met my husband 17 years ago on the internet, and I was I was featured in a magazine because it was such an unusual thing to do in those days.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, you now almost 50% of couples uh, today are meeting through an online connection, whether it's a mm. dating site, a swipe app, a Facebook a chat room. I for let me clarify this for the demographics that I talk to, the over 45 crowd. Um, yeah, you know, mostly are meeting through some sort of online connection.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. What about in the business world? Do you think there's a lot of of uh, getting together of people because they're in the same sort of space, but you know, not intentionally dating, but people meet because they're working together in some shape or form. Do you mean?
0: Well, are we talking the real world or the virtual world of the laptop-based yeah. business?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know either. <laughs> I think that's well, the point, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. For, for the longest time, there was a good chance, you know, up until about the 1990s, there was a good chance your mate, you were going to meet at work. Mm. But that was based on proximity. In other words, you saw each other every day. You built some familiarity. You know, there was some comfort. And say, hey, do you want to catch a drink after work? And bump, 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 you know, they ended up getting married kind of thing. Um, In the virtual world, it's a lot different. You know, it's interesting. I've been working with a, uh, I have a virtual assistant I've been working with for, I want to say nine years now. And we didn't meet for seven of those nine years. And then finally she was, she lives in um, Michigan and I live in Los Angeles and she was in, in Las Vegas doing an event. I go, okay, I'll drive out to meet you. You know, so, you know, I connect with a lot of people virtually. Um, yeah. And in my social circle, or at least in my demographic of dating and relationship coach, about nine years ago, we actually started, the ones here locally, actually decided to get together a couple times a year on a social um, basis because we, we just, you know, it was like so frustrating to work from home and not have connection with other people so we get together a couple times a year have so you know hang out you know you know find out what you're doing and blah 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 um so it's Mm. kind of a a mastermind but it's not really it's a social mastermind.
2: Mm. Mm. yeah it's interesting about how as you say we build strong relationships online i remember one of my guests Wendy Kier, right from the early days of the podcast, came to stay for the weekend a couple of years ago and we went to a neighbor's party and they were like incredulous because actually we've known each other about five years, but we've never met until like the night before their party. <laughs> I thought that was very odd. <laughs> but,
0: um, well you're
2: so, <laughs> one, one of your
0: guests one of your guests, uh Cindy Badar is I've been working with yeah. her for years. This is the one I was sharing with you earlier. I mean it took it took seven years before we could meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
2: funny, isn't it? Yeah. So, what about how how this works? So, how do you work with people? What do your days look like?
0: You know, that's an interesting question because you know my passion is to help, and I'll be candid. I'm kind of a terrible business person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I and I think on some level this is kind of indicative of the coaching industry if you will. Um those of us who really genuinely want to make a difference in a world and really want to help and and one of my weaknesses is that I haven't I don't have a system systematized business. Now, let me backtrack. When I say weakness, that may, that may not be a fair characterization. Um be, and, and what I mean to say is my, my, my day routine, you know, going back to your question, is I do a lot of content uh, creation, I blog, I shoot videos, um, but I don't do it on any sort of, you know, um, like I don't have it on my calendar per se. I do it based on how I feel. And why I'm sharing this with your audience, because I kind of operate my business more from a Zen perspective than a Mm -hmm. logical perspective. And what I mean by logical, by systematized and goals and that sort of thing. And Joe, partly it's because systems and goals frustrate me goals frustrate me because every time I've set a goal, you know, I I, I don't achieve it and it gets frustrating to me. Like, you know, they say set big goals or set little goals, all that. So my, my goal is really simple. Make a difference in the world. That's it. And I allow trust to navigate my life. And, but I, but I want to share this with you. It wasn't always that way. It was about eight years ago when I, you know, I started this business about nine years ago. I started doing this nine years ago. Um, and I had only $50,000 in the bank. And I was literally each month going through my savings trying to get this business going. And at first I was offering coaching for like Starbucks cards, send me a Starbucks card and I'll coach you. And then it was, like, I started one of those dollar a minute phone lines, you know, and then at some point I increased it to $2 a minute. And then I increased to $3 a minute. That was like how I was bringing in income. And, and my focus was helping people bring it and, and bring in income. But I created, yeah. a, I created a mantra for myself. And my mantra was simple. My monthly income exceeds my monthly expenses. My monthly income exceeds my monthly expenses. And then in about 2011, I'll never forget this, this was November of 2011, and I kept saying this mantra for six months straight, my monthly income exceeds my monthly expenses. And I tried, and I focused on being happy when I said it. November 2011 was the first month that my income exceeded my expenses. And then the next month, my income exceeded my expenses. And the next month, and all along the way, I began increasing my expenses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at some point within a year, my expenses had doubled, and so had my income. My income exceeds my monthly expenses. And I realized that for years I operated based on goals and worry. Worry, worry, worry would I make the money? I was constantly worried. And when I let go of worry, the money just started to arrive. Mm. And and so I operate, that's why I said earlier, I kind of operate zen, from a Zen perspective. What's my objective? I want to make a difference in the world. That's how I get up in the morning. How can I make a difference in someone's life? And, and when I say the world, let me, let me make that, because that's so you know uh, macro. Let me bring it to the micro. How can I, br- how can I make a difference in one person's life today is kind of the way I operate. And I trust that the revenue will find its way to me. Now, I know a lot of people yep. listening would be go, wow, that's a lot of woo-woo and blah, blah, blah. It took me a long time to trust, but now I literally know that the universe has my back.
2: Mm. So. Yeah, you said before we started, you said, oh, I don't really have systems. <laughs> Do you really want to interview me? And, you know, my, yeah. my comment was, this is about, you know, us all sharing all different ways of, of being. And um, I, sort of, I sort of get what you're saying. I mean, I, um, I keep listening to um, people saying that uh, sort of to organise your tasks, you should um, block out your calendar. And if it's not on your calendar, it doesn't get done and all this sort of stuff. And, and I've tried that in the past and it never works for me because I hate that structure I have to have much more fluidity I wouldn't yeah. say I go as far as your fluidity but yeah well
0: I was gonna say I do work with a like my virtual assistant and I've worked with other you know I have a people that help me with writing and such like that so I have a little team yeah. if you will. Um, on mm-hmm. some level we have a structure the way we work together um, and and for the most part, you know, I, we've set it up such that I made it such that I created it very simple. In other words, rather than creating a complex business with a lot of moving parts, I just make it simple, which allows me to navigate from this Zen perspective. I mean, if I had a business with a lot of moving parts, and I don't mean that literally, I mean that figuratively, right? Yeah. yeah. Then it, then, then that would require... Much more attention and more systems. I've intentionally mm-hmm. created a very simple way of how my business is run. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will tell you, you know, I'll be candid with you. I'm going through a shift as I was sharing with, your, with you and your audience, you know, shifting kind of from the dating conversation, which requires me. To, I'm going to do an overhaul to my website, I'm going to do some many changes, and this is going to require, you know, doing some systems, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I, leverage, I leverage the people that are better at doing this stuff than me. Mm. And that's one of the keys, is being able to utilize the resources around me, like my virtual assistant and my website person and, and that sort of thing. Um, because they're better at those systems than I am.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned that and you've mentioned talking, working with a VA over a number of years. And also we're talking about that whole sort of fluidity thing. How do you ensure that they know what they need to do and that, you know, that they've done it or not, um, given, you know, there is that flexibility.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, and sometimes my 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 assist I don't like even using the term assistant because she's really a business professional. So uh, I'll just say my partner, if you will. I mean, even though it's not really mm-hmm. a business, partner, <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a, a a partnership there. Um, for a while there, I used to nitpick. You know, like I'd send something and I didn't get a response back, and I'd nitpick. Kind of, it did things get done? Um it took me a while to let go of that kind of anal retentive part of me. Um, and because we didn't, we, we you know, we, we use some apps, like, you know, what it's shared calendar or some other, you know, types of apps, but I'm terrible at technology. I mean, look what happened. I, you and I couldn't get on go, I couldn't get on go meeting to do it. <laughs> now we have to do it on zoom. Um, you know what? We, my, the, the, my team that I've been working with, has been with me so long that we've just built trust with one another. I literally just know they'll get it done. And the other day, we did have a glitch the other day, something didn't get done. And it turned out I thought I'd sent an email and I kept emailing him. I go, did you get this done? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I realized my email had been sitting in the draft folder. I never hit send. It's so mm-hmm. rare though, because I have built trust. And Yeah. Will trust, but I just trust. And you know, here's the bottom line. You know, there's always going to be mistakes, but when you put together a team that really has your back, you know what, rather than for at least for me, I've let go of that picky part and just operate, like I said, more Zen. And th- and things just, you know what, when you operate from a place of everything is going to work out for you, life just becomes a lot simpler and easier.
2: Mm. At least
0: it is for me. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So any tips for enabling that to happen? I mean, you talked <laughs> about trust, but you literally, you know, you, you look for somebody to work with you, and that doesn't happen overnight. How do you develop that?
0: So, well, first, you know, when I was introduced to my, uh, you know, my assistant partner, however you want to call it, um, it was through a referral. <laughs> yeah. And I trusted the referral, so that was like the first thing and you know, it took us a little while to get to know each other it 's almost like dating you know? <laughs> I mean a relationship with someone you 're working with is very much like dating, and so um, it took a little bit of time to get to know each other and to you know work together and One of the things I did was i was i didn 't mind investing a little more money by having uh, a weekly or bi-weekly meetings and we used to schedule a 30-minute meeting just to check in with each other and we did this for years and it got to a point where we go you know we don't need these meetings you know we have already built this rapport with each other we started to then shift to like once a first it was twice a week then it was once a week then it was once a month kind of thing we and mm-hmm. like in other words we it it, it was the relationship was a separate entity and it started off by dating each other first to get to know one another. And now we built, um, you know, rapport and trust with each other that I don't even give it a second thought,
2: Mm. Mm.
0: but that took time. It's, it's very much like a relationship. And, and I think what's most important, there was a give, give to each other. It, it, and I say this, it was, you know, it's very important because I gave, in the relationship and when I, not just the money piece you know I gave it, there was an emotional piece attached and and I genuinely can say I love my VA you know I mean I say that to her I, go, I love you <laughs> and, <laughs> and since love is a message from me on a professional level um that's so important to me like I'm when I said earlier I'm here to make a difference in the world and make a difference in someone's life What I mean by that is I want to, that comes from a place of love and many people, you know, a lot of people throw around the words, I love you and like, but very few people I've come to realize recognize the real power of love when you just come from a loving place in your heart. And that's what I'm here to kind of be both a message for, and I've been able to establish that in the business relationships that I have.
2: Yeah, yeah. So changing the subject a little bit and going back to the fact that um, you're in L.A. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What about keep? What about keeping healthy? From from over here, we we think LA is like the real place to <laughs> to to really look after yourself. Is that is that generically true? <laughs> and what about for you?
0: Well, this is a great question because you know here in the United States, um, our our country is a com- is very unhealthy country. Um on so many different levels. And, I, and I've done a lot of research on food and health and I've come to realize, and this isn't systemic of just Los Angeles or, you know, Los Angeles tends to be like, you know, if you don't have six pack ab and a beautiful body, you, you're rejected as <laughs> the impression. Um, yeah. But I've, I've, I've watched a lot of documentaries at the beginning of this year about food. And I've come to realize that processed foods are very unhealthy for us, and so I actually shifted the way I view food um, back in February of this year, and I within two months lost 25 pounds. I'm actually almost at the weight I was when I graduated college, and which was 30 plus years ago. And why I'm sharing this with you is, you know, health. Oh, and by the way, physically everything inside of me changed. And one of the main things that changed, I had high blood pressure. Uh, I had blood pressure of 170 over 110. Like it was bad. And I was seeing doctors and I was taking medicine and the medicine wasn't doing anything. I changed my diet. Now my blood pressure is 130 over 85. Like I'm literally, for my age, at perfect blood pressure by just changing Mm. the way I eat and and because of that i have more vitality i have more energy um and why and by the way this is a little bit of i'm on the bandwagon on really promoting an understanding about how food is fuel and most people think of food as comfort and and I shared with you earlier, I'm I'm here to kind of spread a message of love. I, I wrote a book um, that was published this year and actually made Amazon bestseller or um for new releases called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And it's about loving oneself and loving others. Um and really kind of and when I say loving oneself, I mean self-worth, self-confidence, self-reliance, self-esteem, those self-words. And one of the chapters in it is called um, "Your Body Is a Machine, Not a Temple."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and why I'm sharing this is because health is an important part of, of of self-love, self-worth. And and there's another chapter in there called "Be a Good Steward of Your Money" because we're talking about business and money. So money, you know, physical health, all are equations to our happiness you know like a relationship would be so um Mm. i'm a huge proponent of encouraging education on understanding the importance of how food is fuel and not for comfort
2: yeah it's interesting i saw on facebook yesterday a picture of a beach in the 1970s and the person was making the comment that there, there wasn't the level of obesity you know, in those days, uh, it's interesting how much things have changed in, you know, such a, a short space of time. And as you say, it's it's, it's the, f- the food that we're eating, you know, in the main from everything that I've also researched as well, as opposed to necessarily how much of it we're eating intentionally, you know, as in yeah. we know the food industry are trying to get us to eat lots. So we do because that's what the food's making us do, as opposed to because we've all just got um, out of control, really.
0: You know, you brought up something really huge, and that is I I was watching a documentary about an aborigine tribe that up until 50 years ago was the healthiest people on the planet kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, they introduced a convenience store nearby, and we're talking about, and so their health dramatically dropped to being one of the sickest people on the planet because at this convenience because in the past they hunted for their food and they ate from the from the earth and now they're like you could see them drinking bottles of mountain dew and eating potato chips and all of a sudden their entire health dropped and now they're there's scientists coming into trying to heal them kind of thing yeah um, yeah and when i saw that i came to realize again the importance of recognizing that food is fuel and
2: not for comfort. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what about learning and and improving yourself? You you clearly help your clients to do that in one shape or another, and you've just shared already something that you've been learning this year. How do you do that on an ongoing basis?
0: Mm, I love this question, because when I wrote my book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? It's really an invitation at the end for a person to begin a personal development, self-help and spiritual practice. And when I use the word spiritual, I don't mean religious, I just mean Mm self-discovery. And in my personal life, I invest hours in both myself and learning. In other words, when I say myself is recognizing when ego is in my, you know, when ego is blocking love in other words i'm not coming from a loving place i'm coming from an egoic or fear-based place so i work on it by by reading a lot of books and being part of a a daily morning study group and um and i probably watch at least one or two hours a day of documentaries um to better to i'm going to use the word better myself but just you know to tap into more happiness in my life, because I feel like the, the antidote to suffering, in other words, suffering is the reason why we're not why people aren't happy. And the antidote to that is love and learning. Um, Tony Robbins, I I mentioned him earlier, has what he calls the hour of power. I spend more than that but I encourage everyone to at least invest 15 minutes a day whether it's meditation whether it's watching a documentary doing something because I think that's a lot better than watching the Kardashians. You know, I I understand the value of entertainment but happiness starts from investing in oneself. And what's sad as a country here at least and I don't know what's like in the UK and other places, you know, the investment is, to, most people invest outside of themselves and then they wonder why they're miserable.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 interesting. I was talking to somebody earlier about who um, got a bit of money to spend on something, stuff, whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I was sort of counseling and saying, you know, it doesn't go very far, don't spend it on stuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And, uh, you know, spend it on on asset, you know, things that would be classed as assets like learning and, and things that are going to help you to be happier or more well off or, or whatever in the future. Because it's so easy just to spend money on or spend your time on things that, uh, you know, are fun in the moment, but don't actually move anything forwards for you.
0: Um, can I share something really personal that might help illustrate this? Mm, please do. So... I shared with you, I went through a divorce and I began dating, you know, I kind of fell into this dating coaching business. Um, What happened to me during that time is I went through a divorce. I lost my quarter million dollar sales job at the same time. Um, And then a few years later, the market crash of 2008 financially wiped me out. I literally at one point was living in a $2 million home and I then had to, at 45, had to move in with my mom and dad, and they lived in a retirement community. I mean, I went from being a millionaire to, you know, remember I shared I had like $50,000 left in the bank account, I was doing this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: During that mm-hmm. time, I saw the movie, The Secret, and 2006, and then, um, and then I watched What the Bleep, and then I started to read books on personal development and self-help, and I just, I just kept feeding my soul just kept feeding it, feeding it, feeding it, and as a way to kind of heal from the inside out, because I was in so much pain and suffering over losing my money, losing my marriage, losing, you know, like being being in shame that I had to live with my mom and dad in a retirement community. By the way, I subsequently moved out five years later, and I now live at the beach with an ocean view, and I drive a convertible, so... (laughs) What I'm, I'm
2: feeling this better now. <laughs> <you
0: know, laughs> yep. Why I'm sharing this with you is last year I suffered one of the most traumatic events in my life. I lost my 19 year old son to an accident. And if anyone who's a parent listening to this, um, you know, I would probably say that the worst thing that you can happen in your life is losing a child. Um, and while whether you're a parent or not, a, you know, most everyone can empathize with that. And I can tell Mm -hmm. you, I lived 19 years of his life worrying that something would happen to him. I lived in constant worry. And then boom, what I worried about happened. What was fascinating to me, I always thought that would take me down the rabbit trail of, you know, no return. In other words, emotionally no Mm -hmm. return, physically no return. And I recognized that it was myself it was my personal development, self-help, spiritual practice that prepared me for this traumatic event. And, and actually, it inspired the book that I wrote. I Actually, two months after this happened, I began writing about self-love, not, not really knowing what it was. I was just writing what I was feeling. and then nine months to the date of him passing, I published it. A month later, it was Amazon' bestseller. Uh, and mm-hmm. and during the writing period, I realized that the vaccination or antidote to you know suffering and chaos is working on oneself, um, actually improving and bettering oneself from not from the egoic place, but from a love-based place. You know, and I use the word egoic because n- no offense to anyone who likes watching the Kardashian—that's your ego being fed. That's not feeding your soul that's a distraction to the pain in life and my invitation is to lean into the pain, work through the pain, so when something like this happens and it doesn't have to be the death of a child, it could be a loss of a relationship it could be a loss of a you know it could be a loss of a, a family member or something else, or it just could be that you you know some you know something happened at work, whatever it is you're prepared for it, and I feel like that foundation of personal development has helped me create my own sovereignty. Mm, to use mm. English word. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And, yes. and, and while I can't say that you know I'm I haven't been in pain over his loss, I certainly have a lot of pain. I didn't go down the rabbit hole of despair. No.
2: Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and i just coming on to the last couple of questions of the interview. And normally I ask, what do you do on a day where it all goes horribly wrong? I'm not going to ask you that because I think okay. you've um, <laughs> gone some way to answering that in that that, uh, that story. Um, what about on the flip side, on those days where you feel like you've had the chance to um, live more? And that's why I talk about get to do more of the stuff that you want to do and less of the stuff that you feel you have to do or you should do. What do your days look like...
0: What does my days look like?
2: Yeah, where well, you've been living more, where well, you've been doing the things you really want to do. So
0: I um, I, I love this question because I, I start each morning with a slight bit of relaxation and meditation. I tend to get up around 5, 5.30 every morning. Um, I start with that. And then um, I briefly... Um, do a bit of work for about an hour it could be blogging it could be writing it could be shooting some videos uh for my group and then i go to i have it from 8 a.m i'm missing it today but at 8 a.m every morning i do a study group um uh, uh around self-love and then and i actually do that while i walk so i actually live by the ocean i walk the beach every morning um for i try to get a four or five mile walk in and then I come back and, and I, I do a little bit of work. I, um, I do a bit of studying. Um, and then depending on what my calendar looks like for private coaching clients, you know, I, I create a lot of space for that. But I operate, you know, when I, I think I forgot who wrote the book, The Four-Hour Work Workweek. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Um, I kind of Ken operate. Tim Ferriss, yeah. I, I kind of yeah. operate from the premise of a four-hour work day. In other words, it's mm-hmm. that's it. I, I, now, I'm sharing this with you because I used to work in the corporate world. I'd go into yeah. an office every morning, and I would literally be there 10 hours. But if I actually calculated my actual work time, it probably was less than 3. A lot of it was mm-hmm. just shit, you know, talking, shuffling papers, doing stuff that made it look like I was busy, but I was there just to physically have a presence. I'm not saying all days were like that, but a lot of days were like that. So what's most important is I put in quality time of work, not quantity. Yeah. And that allows for a ton of self-reflection. And I communicate with my circle of friends throughout the day. I stay connected to my community. Um, I nurture my soul because it's part of what my gift is to be out there to, to teach is my, my own journey is what I want to share with people. And I'm grateful to be able to share this with your community because hopefully maybe someone else might shift from a grind work day to coming from a place of love, which actually opens you up to more hours in the day.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's been a really interesting interview because, as you said before we started, it's different to a lot of the interviews, and, and it's been, uh, as you say, a lot about love and about self-development and self-reflection, which has been really interesting. So thank you, Jonathan. Thanks so much for, for sharing that. Tell people how they can find out more about you and, and get in contact with you.
0: Well, Joe, real quick, I want to thank you so much. You're a great interviewer, and I really just <laughs> I, I love the energy you put out. You have just such... You have you have great energy, and I just wanted to say that out loud, and for those listening, okay. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So um, my website is jonathanasley.com. and there might be a link somewhere here. Um, <laughs> and um, that will
2: be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah.
0: And my book is uh, and my book is called What the Heck is Self Love, which if you went to selflovethebook.com, selflovethebook.com you can check it out. I'm re- it's, it's a passion project for me. And I believe that it's a doorway to, for you to, for anyone who reads it to begin a real practice of loving on oneself. And I'm a big proponent of that. So, and then um, you can find me on social media, that sort of thing as well, just by Googling my name.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. All this information is available in the show notes if you go to the link powertolivemore.com forward slash in this case 129 then you'll find those notes there and this week I want to talk about the concept of productive procrastination it's something that I read about in an article this week published by Zapier who are the people who provide a platform where you can create automation within your business. And it's something that I've talked about before. It's something that I do and I've sort of identified as being something that I do. I think we all do it. And um, it's good to do more of this and less of the just procrastination stuff. Uh, But I thought it was worth sharing because there's some great examples in the article of things that fit within the title of productive procrastination. So firstly, what is it? So I've always said that, you know, we do all procrastinate. It's a natural thing that we do but actually if you can procrastinate by doing something else that's important perhaps not quite as important as whatever it is you're supposed to be doing because clearly that's probably urgent as well as important Um, but if you can do something else that's important too then at least you're doing something that in the end will be useful to you even if it wasn't supposed to be what you were doing right now in the moment So for example, if I was supposed to be writing a blog post today, and I decided that I didn't want to do that, but I recorded an outro for next week's podcast instead, then it's something that's important, it's something that needs to be done, it doesn't need to be done right now. But if I'm not going to write the blog post that I ought to be writing, then at least doing something that's going to be useful to me in a few days time would be a better use of my time than sitting in front of the telly. Um, and you know not doing anything else productive so some of the examples that they've used in the article are um, so one of them is about um, planning the rest of your day so the guy was saying that sometimes he doesn't feel like getting started on a project so sometimes he just takes a few moments to plan the rest of his day out perhaps writing a list of articles that he's going to write or, you know, the order of events for the day and the things that he's going to achieve that day. And that, even though that's not doing the work that he's supposed to be doing, it does help to shape the rest of his day and, um, you know, perhaps might lead him into doing that first task. Who knows? He's also suggests breaking the project. You don't want to start into smaller pieces. And, you know, that's sort of, you know, your... You're doing that instead of actually doing the project, but by breaking that project down into smaller pieces and planning out those smaller pieces of work, then that sort of gets you halfway towards perhaps doing some of them or at least starting with one of them. So that can be useful as well. Um, So another option is to clean something. And this is where I first discovered my propensity to productively procrastinate and that was like i don't know 30 years ago when i was doing a a, an evening course at a local university and i was supposed to be doing my assignments and instead of doing my assignments i used to get a really um big urge to clean my oven (laughs) not something that I ever get the urge to do under normal circumstances but it did used to happen when I was supposed to be studying and if you're looking at it from a productive procrastination point of view then if you know that's what I chose to do at least I'd end up with a clean oven at the end of it which doesn't happen very often I can assure you (laughs) another suggestion that he uses is about tackling the simplest part of your work for the day just as a way of doing something that you intend to do today, and um, something that's sort of, you know, quicker and easier for you to do, because it's the easiest bit. And at least then you're doing something that's going to need to be done during the day. And you're doing that now rather than whatever it is, you know, that you feel like you should be doing. And actually, that's quite often how I start my day, I start with the easy, quick things that I can quickly tick off my list. And that's not what many productivity people say they say you should you know eat the frog um you should do the you know the worst thing first so that that's out of the way and then the rest of the day you know has got to get better from from that point if you like but particularly because i'm a bit of a um night bird um a wolf if you've read the um power of when I, don't, I get up and I don't want to do you know important big pieces of work it's not my time in the morning so I'd rather just do stuff that needs to be done but is easier and quicker to do so I do tend to start with all the sort of piddly things and then as the day goes on I pick up the bigger um, items um, later on. Another suggestion was about to go for a walk or do other exercise and you know if you're stuck and you, you're supposed to be doing something and you really don't want to do it you know if you go for a walk at least at the end of it you've had some exercise you've probably had an opportunity to think about stuff and you might have come up with some renewed enthusiasm for for the rest of your day um and so you know that sort of taking exercise instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing can be really helpful and then they finish off, not surprisingly, by saying, "How about automating something?" <laughs> Which of course is what they do. So I guess that's a nice end to the um, the blog post. But you know, again, if you're if you're stuck and you don't know what to do next, and you think about something that you do within your business that ca- can be automated, and you automate it in the moment as a way of avoiding the thing that you really ought to be doing, then at least sort of moving forwards, whatever this thing is that you've automated is actually going to give you sort of you know much more return than the p- period of time that you spent on it you know a reason to automate things within your business already but also a good um use of that sort of time if you're going to not do the thing that you need to do then if you you know use an automation task or the setup of an automation task as the thing that's stopping you doing the big thing at least you know next week and next month and next year the work that uh you get as a result of that automation will continue happening. So actually, you know, it is a really good use of your time, even if it isn't really what you're supposed to be doing right now in the minute. Uh, so, yeah, so it's really interesting to see that article because it is something that I do and I have suggested to people um, obviously just procrastinating generally and always <laughs> it's not going to get the work done, but certainly if you think about in the moment things that you could usefully be doing, even when you don't want to do the thing that you need to do um at least at the end of the half an hour or an hour you've spent on whatever that item is will have been useful to you um for you know the future rather than just wasting that time you know faffing around on facebook or whatever trying to avoid doing whatever it is you need to do so that's today's uh, little nugget Thinking about productive procrastination and how you can make your procrastination more productive uh, in your business and in your life. Just to finish, uh, to let you know, the membership site that I keep talking about, Power To Live More Calm, which is for home-based coaches and consultants, offering... Uh, community, accountability, learning, and various materials, templates, and so on. Uh, this week, I've added a new course on there, which is all around WordPress security. So if you manage your own website and you're a home-based coach or consultant, then you might be interested in finding out more. Please do go to powertolivemore.com forward slash get calm, and you can find out more there and or get in touch with me joe at dods.com. And again, the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 129. And we look forward to speaking to you next week.
2: Use your power to live more.